Hey, I just want to say thank you for checking out this message today. I hope that it helps you, that it encourages you, and that you are able to learn a little bit more about who God is and why so many people throughout history have chosen to become followers of Jesus. If you enjoy this message and you want to hear more, you can find us on Facebook or YouTube, but ultimately you can find everything you need to know at clcwinnipeg.ca. There you can find more messages, you can find our social handles, ways to get connected to our church, and if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do that as well. And like I said before, I hope that you are encouraged by the message you're about to hear. God bless you. In 1976, a young Steve Jobs was in his parents' garage in Los Altos, California, with his friend Steve Wozniak working on creating the first Macintosh computer system. They believed that they had created the best, easiest to use personal computer that existed at the time. And so when they were done, they took it to market and went to different businesses trying to sell them their new computer. And they were rejected time and time again as businesses had already made big deals with IBM and Hewlett Packard, who were the leaders of the day. And so they decided to change their strategy and began to target the individual consumer. And so they went to innovative people who were into personal computing and who wanted the best product available. And they really found a niche in that market. And they began to grow as these innovators would tell their friends and they made more and more sales until they were able to firmly establish themselves in the personal computing market. With a strong conviction that they had a superior product, they were able to scale up their production so that they were able to become the largest private computing company in the United States. In 1980, they went public and they began their long history as a competitor to IBM and Microsoft. And then in 1997, after he had taken a 12-year hiatus from the company, Steve Jobs came back to take the reins as CEO. And this was the beginning of a turning point. In 2001, they released the iPod, which changed the way that we listened to music forever. Then in 2007, they announced that they were releasing the iPhone, which marked the official ushering in of the smartphone era. And even though it was not the first smartphone, nor was it the most powerful or capable, it was the one that began to change how we communicate, how we relate to technology, and how we go through the world. Steve Jobs passed away almost 10 years ago in October of 2011. And for many people, he was mourned as a great innovator and visionary that the world had lost. He had made his dent in the universe, and now we were going to live in a post-Steve Jobs world for the very first time. But we certainly don't live in a post-iPhone world. The iPhone to this day has sold over 700 million units, leading the way to help Apple become the most valuable company in the world. As they hit a market valuation of one trillion US dollars in the summer of 2018. It took them over 40 years to be evaluated that high, but it took them only 20 months after that to have been able to double to a market value of two trillion US dollars. They're the most influential, successful company that the world has ever known. 
and they had a visionary leader that will be remembered in history for changing the world. But weirdly enough, Steve Jobs, who brought all of these innovations and all this creativity to our world, had a very different relationship with Apple's inventions than we do now. In 2011, shortly before he died, he revealed that he actually did not let his children use the iPad, one of Apple's other most significant inventions. And when he explained what the iPhone would be able to do back in 2007, it was a drastically different and much more simple vision for how he saw them, for how he saw us using them than we actually do today. Last year, a documentary called The Social Dilemma described many of the problems with social media. Tens of millions of people watched this documentary and it explained how the big tech companies that now impact so much of our lives actually work. If you haven't seen it, I really do recommend that if you have Netflix that you go and watch it. But it lays out problems like the fact that if you don't pay for a product, you are the product. It, it talked about the damage that these apps and products are doing to our young people, and it explained the danger of algorithms that are doing everything they can to keep us hooked. What we've seen over the last year since the pandemic began is that so many of the problems that it outlined for us have now just been accelerated. If you were on your phone too much before, you're on your phone way too much now. If you were anxious before, you're way more anxious now. If we were divided before, we are much more divided now. So I think it's so important that we do our best to understand and talk about these issues because right now in Canada, I honestly think that the number one threat to our spiritual lives and health is our relationship we have with technology. And if you do not see yourself as someone who struggles with it, or maybe you're a little bit older and you think that this is kind of a young person's problem, I just ask that you continue to listen and tune in because I also believe that as a church, we have to combat these issues together. And we need everyone on board to be able to address it. And near the end, I'll explain the role that you need to be able to play in doing so. And as we continue on talking about this, I just wanna make it really clear, I am not anti-technology by any means. I see so many benefits to having these tools in our lives. And honestly, I actually just, like I enjoy a lot of the benefits that they bring. I consider myself someone who is deeply optimistic for the future of technology and of the church. Um, and I, I think that even over the last year, the way that we've seen how the pandemic has made so many churches go online and put so much more gospel-centered content on the internet, I'm so optimistic for the opportunities that that may hold. But at the same time, I recognize that I, I don't have this all figured out. Far from it. I'm not someone who thinks that they have a perfect, healthy relationship with their phone and computer and social media. In fact, I would actually go so far as to say that even though many of the thoughts I'm sharing today have been forming over the past few years, I'm coming out of one of the periods of my life where I've actually probably had the most unhealthy relationship with my phone and technology in my entire life. Because if we're talking about how the pandemic worked to accelerate things, I think for anyone who has been struggling with something, this pandemic has acted like a fuel on a fire. And for myself as a single person who grew up with computers, who's a frequent social media user, 
who had to go into a second lockdown where they wanted our contacts to be as minimal as possible. And living in January in the city of Winnipeg, where going outside was no longer a great option because the high each day was about minus 30. It became really difficult to manage my screen time. And honestly, I don't think I did a great job all the time. But I think it's important that we acknowledge times like that and that we work to avoid them and to continue to get ourselves healthy after situations like that. So I'm coming before you very humbly knowing that I don't have this all figured out, but also holding on to a deep, convic deep conviction that we need to try to figure this all out. But before we go further, let's just open our Bibles. Today we're looking at Matthew chapter 22. And in this moment, Jesus has been teaching in the city. And after telling a few parables, he is confronted by religious leaders. They confront him with questions as they try to figure out if he can really be trusted or not. And there are two groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're both religious leaders with different beliefs but they're asking him questions. And in verse 34, we read this. This is Matthew 22, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So why is that the scripture that I brought up in this sermon? It seems like a pretty basic, like, Christianity 101, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, I have a theory about this. I think that how we interact with the first and greatest commandment has fundamentally changed in the last 20 years. And I, I think it is rapidly changing as we go through this century. I think that we interact with technology in light of the greatest commandment. And we ought to interact on social media in light of the second one, to love your neighbor as yourself. But what do I mean by all that? Well, let's look at each of these areas one by one. So first off, love the Lord your God with all your heart. For many of us, we have changed how we relate to people in the last 20 years. With the rise of email, then texting, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Snapchat, Twitter, Pinterest, and then we have the rise of online dating apps like Tinder and Bumble, where all you have to do is swipe through potential matches to potentially find love, we have put a lot of our relationships behind a screen. We can now sort through romantic relationships, potential romantic partners, much the same way that we would sort through a store. And we have moved many of our friendships behind a screen. And while I don't think that texting or chatting online is inherently bad by any means, I do think that a balance needs to be found. We need to be able to connect with people deeper than the way that we do online. 
I think that a few problems have arisen by these changes. This past year, I'm actually quite sure has convinced me more and more why we need to be able to connect with people on a deeper level. Social distancing, stay-at-home orders, they have made it hard to have those deep connections that we so badly miss. It left many of us feeling isolated and alone, and all of our relationships were pushed behind a screen, so it became so much more obvious how that actually was lacking to what we had hoped it would be. We mentioned last week that in a triune God, so a God that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that those three persons of the Trinity are working in relationship. And as we are made in the image of God, we are made for relationship. And so the problem that social media and technology can have is that social media takes time, but it usually lacks intention. So you can spend an hour or two on your phone just chatting with people, but there's not really often the intention of having deeper connection, of really getting to know somebody. It's often just chatting and chatter. So when we do that, we lose the meaning of our relationships, and we are made for greater connections than that. We are made for deep, knowing, life-giving connections. And it's just hard to have those with a screen. I think the second problem that this poses for our hearts is that platforms like Facebook are actually doing their very best to divide us. And I'm not, I'm not doom and gloom about this, but I, I think that just practically, they are trying to divide us. And that seems complicated because On the outside, they are trying to connect us. They want us to find our friends, to interact with each other, to see baby photos and pictures of people's puppies. But really what they're trying to do is to sort us. Facebook wants you to spend time on their platform. They want to figure you out. So they trace every click that you make. Every time you touch something on Facebook, they remember that. So each time that you click something, they learn a little bit more about you. And as they figure out what you are interested in, they are going to give you content that they think you're going to be interested in. And as any addict knows, the way that addictive behavior starts is with increasing desire and decreasing pleasure and reward. So you get a taste of something and you think it's great, But the next time you try it, it just, it doesn't hit you the same way. Those chemicals aren't released the same way. So you have to raise the stakes and have more of it. But every time you do that, the pleasure and the reward and your desire for it gets farther and farther away, thus creating addictive behavior. But Facebook wants you to be hooked. They want you to spend time on their platform. So in order to make you stay, they need to increase the pleasure and reward and curiosity so that your desire continues to increase. Over the last year, we have seen the effects of platforms and algorithms that have been working for long periods of time, actually, to organize and sort and divide us. 
Whether it was politics or COVID or racial tension, we found ourselves more and more divided than ever before. And this is a result of these platforms sending you down a path of your interest and sending you down a a path that you have been on for years. It happened because they were slowly and continually prompting us to become more and more solidified in our individual camps of belief. And we're going to talk more about how we can overcome this next week and how we can disagree with people and how we can sort through that aspect of our relationships. But for now, we just need to remember that these things are drastically affecting how we relate to each other. And with that, we have to question whether or not these platforms and devices have brought us closer together or driven us further apart. Now, speaking of sorting things out, love the Lord your God with all your mind. Google says that their company mission is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. That's their mission statement. They're trying to organize all of the world's information, and honestly, they're doing a great job. They began with everything that was available on the internet. They introduced this nice, white, simple homepage that just said, Google, and what are you looking for? And we were able to search things and find things easier than ever before. And then they moved past what was on the internet. And they began to organize geography, Google Maps, Google Earth, Google Books, Google Images, shopping, news, videos, flights, finance, emails, cloud storage, calendar, photos, businesses, and on and on and on. If you need to find something, Google can help you. And we live in an age where people are growing up and no longer have to spend time wondering things because they can just Google it. Honestly, I do this all the time. When I'm talking to somebody and I I wanna fact check what I just said really quickly or when I can't remember how to make that recipe I enjoy or I wanna know how tall the rock is, I pull out my phone and within a few seconds I almost always have my answer. And what we may not realize is how that has become a problem for us. If we can have everything that we want exactly when we want it, it not only is greatly decreasing our attention attention spans, but it is also decreasing our capacity to sit and think. They say that the average human attention span is now about eight seconds. And the Technical University of Denmark studied this and concluded that it is likely due to the amount of information that we are presented with every single day. And personally, I feel this all the time. When I need to sit and think, I can find it so easy to decide that before I go, I should just quickly check what the weather forecast is going to be. Or I should see if anyone's commented on my latest Instagram post or respond to that text before that I saw but didn't have time to respond to earlier. And often that is a situation that quickly spirals out of control until I've lost several minutes of valuable time that could have been spent thinking or working or just being more productive, living more intentionally. And so when we think about this in terms of loving the Lord your God with all of your mind, we find that the world lacks the ability to focus 
we are increasingly lacking the ability to think about God, to focus on him, and to allow God to do the work in us that is laid out in Romans 12, where it says that we are to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because when we become followers of Jesus, we don't just declare, I'm a follower of Jesus, but we put our words to action. We learn about him. We read his word. We spend more time in prayer. But if we lack focus, all of those things can easily become more difficult. I came across an alarming statistic the other day. Uh, I'm going to read this passage from an author named Scott Galloway to you. He wrote, over the last 20 years in the United States, the number of people who claim no religious affiliation has increased by 25 million. And the strongest signal of disbelief is internet usage. Accounting for more than a quarter of America's drift from religion, access to information and education has done a number on belief. So for a long time, the church has been engaged in these culture wars, and we have been losing ground to culture continually. But we're not only losing ground to the culture around us, we're losing ground to Google. And we do what we can to subvert these technologies. We put our message on them. We make sure that the gospel can be found there. We make sure that we can talk about hope and purpose and joy that is found through a, a real relationship with Jesus. But ultimately, over the last few years, we've been losing out to an all-knowing presence that people carry around in their pockets. But Google, in their pursuit of knowing everything and trying to simplify the world into a search bar and distracting us from any type of deep, rational thought, lacks this. They lack the ability to put meaning into our lives. And so next, loving the Lord your God with all your strength. Some translations use the word might instead of strength. And this doesn't literally mean our physical strength, but it refers to all of our energy and all of our ability. But we are putting our energy into different places. Where you spend your time is a great indicator of where you put your energy. And how do we spend a lot of our time and energy? You can probably guess, technology. In Canada, the statistics are a little bit hard to find, but it's estimated that in 2020, people were spending just shy of three hours on their phone every day. And if our statistics are as close to America as I think that they probably are, you can likely just about double that on average for people under 35, where that number goes up over five hours a day. We are devoting an enormous amount of time to these devices. And that happens regardless of social setting, regardless of whether or not we are at work, or regardless of whether or not we are in bed and we should be trying to fall asleep. These little devices have enticed us like nothing else ever has before. 
And the scale of who they are reaching is growing more and more each year. And so if we're devoting that much time and energy towards it, we're finding that we also can't help but be changed by it. And that's exactly what is happening. Just a few statistics to run through really quickly. Since 2011, which would mark the beginning of the Facebook mobile app, having Facebook on our phones, Instagram, Twitter, we have seen drastic spikes in teen anxiety and depression. The most alarming was in teenage girls. As of 2015, 32% of teen girls were showing signs of depression, which is a number that is likely only higher now that we are six years in the future. 70% of young adults aged 18 to 24 now report that they come across pornographic content at least once or twice a month online. And that number continues to stay around 50% across all age groups, with the exception of only the baby boomers who dip down to only 40%. For parents, 42% of parents report wasting time on technology. 40% report that they feel more distracted because of it. And one statistic that I found particularly upsetting that I think goes back to the heart issue of how we relate to each other is that only 33% of adults aged 18 to 35 said that they often feel deeply cared for by those around them. An even smaller percentage reports the feeling that someone believes in them. And only about 40% of those who were studied are optimistic for the future. And we could go on and on and on about statistics that show that we are seeing sharp increases in people who report feeling lost, feeling anxious and depressed and alone. In a world where we are more connected than ever, we are less happy, we are less joyful, and we feel more alone than ever before. And almost every one of these numbers has spiked since 2011. And so that brings us to our last point. In an era where our heart is fed by Facebook, our minds are fed by the power of Google, and our physical needs are fed by services like Amazon and all of the algorithms that anticipate our every need and want, what we find is that none of these companies are able to feed our souls. As Christians, we know that we are more than bodies, we are more than brains, and we are more than emotions. There is a spirit living inside each and every one of us that craves connection and wholeness and meaning and purpose. And we are now raising a whole generation that doesn't know how to wait. And they have everything now. The whole world is at their fingertips. Their attention spans are getting lower and lower. And we have to ask ourselves, how do we invite them into a relationship with Jesus that requires self-sacrifice when they've never really needed to sacrifice? How can we invite them into the mystery of following Jesus and of being a person of faith 
when it seems like Google can give them all of the answers that they ever need. I'll be honest, this was pretty difficult to write. It's something that I've been passionate about for a really long time. And to try to condense it down to a manageable period of time and talk length took a lot of work. But I think it's important that we have a conversation about it because I, I really honestly don't think that there is anything that is affecting how we find and follow Jesus more than the technology that we use every day. And I know that not everybody is in the same place with it, but the trends would indicate that we are all going in the same direction with it. Our lives have continued to be lived more and more online across age and sex and income and in every different status. But we're not keeping up with how we think about these changes. For the most part, they have happened to us before we were able to evaluate if they should happen to us. So to start thinking about a takeaway from this message, if you were an older person who is watching this or listening to it and thinking, I don't really know this new world. I don't understand this stuff enough to really care about it or think about it. I would like to give you this challenge. In many ways, this is the first time in history that younger people have known more about the world around them than older people. And not about everything. I think that obviously there is so, so much wisdom to be found from older generations. But when we're talking about how we communicate and function in the workplace and in these online lives, the young people have been able to adapt to this world so much faster. And that's going to change as we go. Um, the people who grew up as digital natives are going to be the older, wiser generation one day and hopefully able to teach the younger people. But as a young person, I'm finding more and more that we need older people to help to keep us grounded in the life and purpose and meaning found in a life without technology. Because I'm 26 and I don't really know what it's like to not be online or to not have internet in my home. I, I've never seen practically on a large scale a better way of living. And I know that we need people who do know a life before the internet to remind us that life was good before, that slow can be good, that focused attention is good, that deep thought is valuable, that the anxious feeling of being consistently and constantly connected to those around you is not necessary, that purpose can be found outside of your phone. So by all means, try to understand it. Try to speak some of the language. But what we really need is for you to be fully present and patient with young people who are feeling increasingly lost. As Christians, we are called to be people who subvert the world around us. Jesus did that all the time. In the book of Matthew, it is filled with examples of Jesus turning the cultural expectations on their head. 
And he wasn't doing that to be rebellious or because it was fun or because he was smarter than everyone else, though he was, but because he was showing people that there was a better way to live than what the world had to offer. It was not necessarily a way of living that would bring more wealth or success here on earth, but a way of life that would bring joy and peace and contentment. A way of life that was grounded in a relationship with God, with a heavenly father who loves us more than we can ever experience through anything on this earth. He wanted us to be living a life where we were loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, our mind, and our strength. And if that way of living is new to you, if you've never heard about that before, we would love to talk to you about that. On our website, you can find us at clcwinnipeg.ca, and there's a tab there called Follow Jesus. And we would love to just have a conversation with you about that. And really practically for the rest of us, if you're struggling with your relationship with your phone or if you never really thought about that relationship or maybe just think it's time to reevaluate, I hope you continue to do so. I hope that this is a path of discovery that you continue to go down. I hope you continue to think about what it means to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you think that your device is holding you back from giving everything you have to your relationship with God, I want to assure you that you don't have to be online. You can be happy without social media. And you can have meaningful relationships without being constantly connected through the internet. It's okay to take time away. And just a couple of thoughts on how to change your behavior if you do think that it is becoming a problem or it has crept into your life more than you had hoped it would. First off, don't start and end your day with your phone. I am terrible for this, but um, statistics show us that we all are. 80% of smartphone users check their phones within 15 minutes of waking up every day. And I bet for a big chunk of that 80% that it's more like 15 seconds of waking up every day. You can buy an alarm clock. You can put your phone in a different room when you go to sleep. You will get better sleep. You will be less anxious and you will have, find it easier to spend time with God first thing in the morning and last thing at night. Regularly spend time away from your phone. Better than 90% of all smartphone users say that they have their phone within arm's reach 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Over 90% of all smartphone users say that. One very simple change can be that for an hour a day, you just put your smartphone in a different room and you go and sit and read a book or you go for a walk and you don't take your phone with you. If you want to have a practical guide of how to maybe just set up your phone differently, there's a ton of articles online. Just Google like how to set up your phone for productivity or whatever, or how to simplify your phone. And 
go through a guide. I found one that was like 90 minutes to read and it just went through all kinds of different tips and tricks to go through your phone, find something like that. For something that we use every day, we put a remarkably small amount of time thinking about how we actually use it. That could be a really beneficial exercise for you. If you're really struggling, find someone else who will hold you accountable to changing your relationship or who will commit to changing their behavior with you. Talk to Jesus about it. Let him show you areas that you were struggling with and ask him to help you change. If it's something that you are spending three hours a day on, Jesus probably has a thought about it. So talk to God about it and and see if there is something that you are missing or something that you need to be doing to help your relationship that is most important. Put really simply, one of the keys to overcoming addictive behaviors is to replace them with something else. So if you think that you were getting out of control with your device usage, find something meaningful to replace that behavior with. Read more, take up an exercise routine, spend more time in prayer, learn to cook, invest more time into meaningful in-person relationships, whatever it is that you need to do, let's be people who are actively thinking and reevaluating and changing these things. Let's subvert the culture together. And let's do it all in the pursuit of strengthening our most important relationship. Not with a God who loves you. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for these spaces to be able to have conversations about our lives. God, we do thank you for the time that we live in and all of the benefits that it has brought and all of the ways that it connects us to each other, for the ways that it has connected, kept us connected through this past year, which has been so hard for so many. But as we slowly, slowly come out of this and come to a, a new normal, Lord, I pray that it would be one where we find ourselves grounded in your word and in prayer and in a loving relationship with you. I pray for each and every person who is watching this message, Lord. I pray that you would draw near to them as they draw near to you. In your name we pray, amen. So I know this is a big topic, and if you have questions or want to continue this conversation in any way, I would love to be able to hear from you. You can email me at scott at clcwinnipeg.ca. Uh, I'm probably going to go off Facebook or Instagram for a few days after this is published, but I would love to hear from you if something here has piqued your interest, and I would love to have that conversation more. Have a great week. God bless you.